Wake Up with Patty Catter. I love the show. I never miss an episode. It's the best. I turn it on and turn it up. You're listening to and watching Wake Up with Patty Catter. And this month we are celebrating our military veterans. I have my friend Hank Barb on the show. Hi, Hank. How are you? Hey, Patty. I'm glad to be here. Good. Thank you. You have an incredible military history. I mean, you couldn't decide what branch you wanted to serve in. It sounds like you were in the Army Reserves, you're a Marine Corps veteran. You're also an Army veteran, correct? I'm kind of like spontaneous, I guess. Like I get an idea in my head and it just, it happens. Mm-hmm. But to be that. honest, the reason I joined the Army Reserves, I got into a fight in high school and my dad put me in his truck and drove me to San Marcos. And I live in Blanco. And he dropped me off at the recruiter station and he walked in and all he said was, don't give him a ride home until he signs something. Wow. The next thing you know, I was in the army. Oh my goodness. Sounds like Ernest (laughs) joins the army. (laughs) He he probably was better prepared. Uh, Oh my goodness. I I don't know about that. Uh, So Hank, let me have you tell our listeners just a little bit about where you grew up and where you're from. And honestly, we just had a show with you and Justin Um, It would have been last week by the time our listeners hear this, Um, but we weren't able to get really into your story. So I want to dig into it. I grew up in San Antonio. And then uh, when I was a teenager, I moved to to Blanco, which is, uh, I think it's maybe 1,400, 1,500 people in the whole city. So it's small, you know, compared to San Antonio. Went to school out here, joined the military when I was in high school. I was actually a junior, got into a fight. My dad took me and then I had to come back. I went to basic training, came back for my senior year, played football, got a football scholarship, ended up uh, going to Kansas to play Kansas Wesleyan to play football. And so the reserves let me out while I was in Kansas. I broke up with this girl and some Marine recruiter found me. And he, next thing you know, I'm at Camp Pendleton and then I'm in Okinawa. <laughs> and, uh, and I did that for four years and I was really bad at being a Marine, you know, just because I was at the age that I just wanted to, you know, chase women and it felt more like a nine to five, you know, and then I ended up joining the army and the army, they stuck me in an airborne infantry unit and it actually felt like the military and it actually, it was, it was fun, you know, until Iraq, you know, but yeah, so I did that for a few years and then I got out and I was a teacher. I was a special ed teacher. Uh, I coached football for a while, went to a state championship game as a defense coordinator. We lost. Then, uh, you know, I still struggled with some stuff because I was in Iraq and, you know, we, I had a, a, a unique mission in Iraq. You know, we did medevac and combat extractions and search and rescue type stuff. Uh, but they never really called us in unless it was actual trauma, trauma, you know, cause it's dangerous bringing a big loud missile magnet to come land in the street and people are trying to kill you, you know, but, uh, I struggled a little bit with some of that stuff and it fell into my marriage and kind of, tore that apart. And then it, uh, it just kind of took over my whole life. And then I had an incident in August, August 11th or August 14th, 2011, where I had, uh, suicidal ideation, I guess. Uh, and I took out a telephone pole, took out two telephone poles. I hit it and it broke so hard that the one next to it fell too. And then I was really happy. I woke up like I, I I didn't want to be alive until I woke up. And then I was just terrified of dying. So when I met you, I believe we were in California at Beverly the Academy. Hills. Yeah. Beverly Hills, right? Fancy. Yes, we were in Beverly Hills. That's right. And I remember my first encounter with you. 
I think that somebody had announced that you're going to be on stage and sing. And I love music. So I was like, okay, I want to hear this, you know, this group and this band called three beards. And of course you guys had beards. And, um, I was like, oh my word, they're great. Like they're phenomenal. And they're military veterans. And I believe that somebody, I don't remember if it was on stage or I just heard like secondhand had said that you were a combat veteran and you had PTSD and that you were using music as therapy. And, um, I just remember wanting to connect with you. So I am happy I did and learned a little bit more about you. Um, so I have some questions listening to just like your opening statements. Let's go back to your, you know, you went from, first of all, being in the army reserves to them letting you out and then the Marine Corps let you in, which I thought that, you know, once you were in the military and you got out early, you probably wouldn't be able to go back in but obviously that's wrong. Uh, I, I test really well. And at, the, at that time, I guess it was one of those times where they were doing waivers. There was a guy that was at MEPS with me. They got a waiver for arson. And I thought that was, you know, that's like, that's pretty bad, right? I mean, I've heard of people coming out, like they either have the choice to go to jail or join the military. I was shocked about that actually, like super shocked. I don't know that, that that's so much something that happens anymore because now, you know, the military, it's, it's pretty competitive. You know, you can't just say, well, I'm going to go be an infantryman. You might score so low that you can't get in. You know, there are certain, they've got jobs that society has. So anything that happens in society, they've got that. So when you were in the Marine Corps, were you a medic then as well? Or what was your MOS? I was an air command and control electronics operator. It was the most boring, horrible job I ever had in my life. We sat in this (laughs) little, we sat in these little shelters, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the little air conditioner shelters, but the cool thing that was awesome was like you had to have a certain clearance to even come in the shelter. And our sergeant major didn't have that clearance. So sometimes when we were trying to hide from the sergeant major, we would just go to the <laughs> shelter because he couldn't come. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that was a, I liked Okinawa. I didn't like going to work when I was in the Marines. Yeah. So when you got out of the Marine Corps, did you have a, a long break in service or a short break before you went to the Army? See, I thought I was going to get out and start a band and be a rock star. Mm-hmm. Right. So I got out and uh, tried to start a band. And I uh, realized that you don't make money right off the bat when you do that. And I didn't have any money. So I ended up right back in the army. And it, I think there was a break from February until October. That's how long I lasted getting out before I was back in the military. So when you joined the army and you knew you were going to an airborne unit, did you right away think, well, I'm definitely going to be going to combat because that's what's going on right now? No, no. when I joined the military, right, when I was, I was in that little that little heaven zone, right? From, I came in in 91, right? And from 91 all the way up till 2003, life was pretty good. We weren't going and deploying and fighting. You know, we'd go do deployments to Sinai, peacekeeping, Kosovo, stuff like that. I'm waving at, waving at my mom, making faces out the window. Cause like we'd do little deployments like that, but they weren't really combat deployments. Like I think we went to Oman one time and Oman gave us, or not Oman, but they gave us hazardous duty pay, all the stuff. And all we did was sit around and hang out with those guys. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we shot one of our own guys during an exercise and that was <laughs> a problem. So when you did get into 80, was it 82nd Airborne or where were you? For, yeah. 82nd Airborne, yeah. Oh my goodness, I can't. We were the Blue Falcons. That was, that was really Falcon Brigade, red, white, and blue. We were Blue Falcons. Mm-hmm. So Wait, hear- what, what year was that? Or what years? I was there from 97 to 2000 and 2000. Wow. Okay. 
I didn't realize that because, you know, um, those of you listening might remember my husband was in the Marine Corps and then he got out and he was, he was 82nd airborne also, but he didn't join the 82nd until 2005. So it was a little bit later. He was younger. That's why (laughs) by 2005, I think I would have died during the first division run. I don't know because he actually went in when he was older. (laughs) Um, and a lot of the guys were calling him dad. (laughs) So yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you found out that, so wait a minute, when did you get married during that time frame? I got married in 1998. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was married from 1998 until 2011. Mm-hmm. So you were married when you were in the 82nd mm-hmm. and then you deployed to Iraq. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once you came home, basically shit probably hit the fan yeah. because you're dealing with PTSD I- and everything else. I honestly, and, and you know, it's not something I'm proud of, but you know, I say this stuff because I know that other people yeah. have had these things and, and, and I think I'm doing pretty well. And when this stuff happened though, I thought it was the end of the world. I had just made the, the by name list for staff sergeant, right? We had a big party and I seriously, for the first three months after I got back from Iraq, probably stayed drunk the entire three months. You know, uh, it was the only way I could fall asleep. At least that's what I thought, you know? And I got a DUI coming home from my promotion party to staff sergeant. And if you know, in the military, that's like the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for some reason, because of the stuff that had happened leading up to it, I didn't get, I didn't even get UCMJ for it, but I was already, they went ahead, they're working a medical board because I had injuries too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, you know, and, and in the military, at least when I was in the military, they were so focused on the zero defect, you know? So when you made any mistakes, it was the end of the world, you know? Mm -hmm. And now I'm like far removed from being in the military and nobody remembers the stupid mistakes. You know, people remember like, oh, this guy came and got us here or, or this guy went and did this mission or, you know, the good stuff, you know? You Uh, know what? Like, I'm so glad that you're sharing this because there are so many guys out there that I've talked to. Um, I've been a military advocate for 14 years and they think they're the only one that screwed up, but right. mostly everybody I know screwed up. So it's like, they're right. just not talking about it, you know? And you're hundred percent right. Mostly everyone, you know, you know, uh, and as I've, you know, I've progressed like civilian wise, you know, I'm not the same guy that I was 10 years ago. You know, I feel like I have a, a more broad audience. I feel like I have a little bit more, uh, reach to help make changes and stuff, you know, like me and Chappie are getting ready to go to DC to talk to congressmen and VA leaders, female leaders, you know? Uh, so I, I feel like I'm doing stuff now. So, but now to go back to what you said, the people that I talk to, they're majors and colonels and generals. And you know what? Those guys screw up like the enlisted people do too. Yes. Uh, I think our old XO got a, got a DUI and still managed to get promoted to major. Mm-hmm. You know, there's obviously that doesn't mean go do that stuff, you know, don't, you know, but it also means that if you make a mistake, even if you think it's a terrible mistake, it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. That's you know, so important. Um, because I think that too many people, you know, everybody makes mistakes first of all, but when you're in the military and you make a mistake, it's magnified more, I sure. feel like. Sure. And so it's even more stressful and people are afraid to talk about it. And that's what's causing some of our soldiers to not go for help and go ahead and go through with suicide. And so I'm really happy that you're talking about this because you can say like, Hey man, I'm I'm a human being and I screwed up, but I'm not going to let that define the rest of my life and look at all this good stuff I'm doing. You know, and, and, and it helps me look at other people when they screw up too, Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, there's certain things. So, you know, that are kind of unforgivable for sure, you know, and those are like high crimes and they'll mm-hmm. put you in prison and jail for it. And that's not the same as like, oh man, I drank a beer or too many glasses of wine before I drove home, you know, mm-hmm. or, you know, it's not the same as, as saying, you know, I think I'm going to go in this bank and shoot it up. Exactly. You know, so there's some unforgivable stuff too. Mm-hmm. But exactly. Not everybody's a monster. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So when I was listening to your music and in California, I was like, this guy is awesome. How did you end up starting your band Three Beards? Well, uh, I told you the story about me driving my truck into a telephone pole, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I was obviously pretty hurt. You know, I broke my neck, broke my shoulders, uh, broke my hip. They had to tow my truck on two different tow trucks. Uh, they put me in a coma for four days when I got in because my brain was swollen. Uh, and Anyway, so I came home I, at, from the hospital and the VA actually had a caregiver come and stay at the house with me. And you're familiar with the VA caregiver program. Mm-hmm. And at my house had a piano and a guitar. And so since I couldn't hardly get up, I would just play my guitar, play piano. And one day she's like, I need to bring you out to an open mic night. And I was like, I don't want to go anywhere. So she finally brought me out. I was like a bunch of 19 and 20 year old kids getting up there and uh, playing and they were like super good. And I'm like, oh, this, I'm not going up there. And finally, after like the third trip, I went up and played uh played a song. And uh, I think within five weeks, I was signed to a record label and they're sending us to the studio. It was one of those little fluky things that everyone says, well, that's never how it happens. Well, that's always how stuff happens for me. I'm in films, right? But I'm in films because I made friends and a good impression on a guy who makes movies. You know, Uh, we work with the best producer in Austin at the premier studio in Austin, Texas, right? Because somebody liked us and brought us to that person. You know, it's just... What I like most about you is how honest you are about everything too. And it's not every day that you meet somebody who's like, Hey, here's my mistakes, <laughs> you know? And and this is what I learned um, because it's hard to admit when we do things wrong, but it's always so good because you do make connections with people and people, at least me, I love people who are more genuine. If somebody acts like they've never done anything wrong in their lives, like I don't want them on my show. Cause I know they're lying. <laughs> well, if, <laughs> you know? if I didn't talk about my mistakes, I wouldn't have too much to talk about, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, and your songs, your songs. Let's talk about the content of those. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Thanks. Yeah, they're Uh, amazing. The biggest song that we have right now, Lessons Learned, you know, that song was about coming home from Iraq and trying to kill myself. You know, I can smell the kingdom burning over the gasoline and grass because I remember the accident, all the stuff that they said I shouldn't remember. Like I, they they did CPR on me at, at the scene, right? But I remember, I don't remember them ever getting me out of my truck. But I remember when it happened, I don't remember any pain. Like it didn't hurt. Like there was nothing, mm. but I remember the moments. And I remember thinking, I can't move my arms. I can't move my legs. I can't take a breath. And so my brain started doing the medic thing. Oh, C4. It's mm. it's somewhere above C4. And I so then I thought, please let it be angels and not devils. Right. And I sat there and I remember people were talking to me. I don't remember what any of them were saying. And I remember saying, let it be angels, let it be angels, let it be angels. And then the cab of my car lit up and I was like, oh, thank God. And then it turned to red and then to blue. It was the lights from the ambulance that showed up. And then that's the last thing I remember. Uh, And then the police officer told me that when he went to the back of the ambulance, that they were doing CPR on me in the back of the ambulance. Uh, And like, I've got just a bunch of weird (laughs) bone connections, you know, because they, they broke my ribs and then they had to crack my chest open and I'm a big scar, but they, they tell me girls like that. So <laughs> makes you look tougher. 
Wow. So when you and Justin were on the show, we were talking a little bit about the um, Do Good series that you've created, which is amazing. And if you're, if my listeners haven't heard about that, go back and listen to that episode. But Hank, do you want to just give a brief in case somebody hasn't heard that episode yet? Sure. Uh, that's the first time anyone ever asked me to say something brief. <laughs> the talk. Yeah. So me and Justin Roberts, uh, Justin's a filmmaker, international award winning filmmaker, theatrical movies and stuff. We're good friends. We met at an inaugurational event and in, inaugural event in uh, DC in 2017. And uh, we just kind of hit it off. And we were looking at everything that's going on in the world. Everybody's fighting about this and everybody's mad about this. And you know, there's still good stuff happening. So we thought, hey, let's make a show about people who are doing good. And we can find a way to reward people who are doing good by funneling all of this, the streaming revenue to those folks, right? So, and then right when that happened, Hurricane Laura came and smacked Lake Charles. And so we spent six weeks in, uh, in Lake Charles filming the event and, or filming what was going on and finding people that were helping other people. And we partnered up with uh, United Way uh, to help to wreck that money. So we don't have to worry about that because money puts people in jail. Uh, we've partnered up with some great, 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 uh, like billion dollar companies that are just coming in and making sure that we can do good for people that are doing good. We've got three episodes out. We're getting ready. We're waiting on word from, uh, some other folks that should come in any day. And that's going to push out the other eight episodes. We've already started planning season two and tying a couple of documentary films to each season. Mm -hmm. So that's amazing. And this is not the first time you've done good. Obviously, all of your military service. Um, one thing I do want to touch on also is you were in Time Magazine. Um, could you tell our listeners a little bit about why? We're talking about the 82nd Airborne Division, right? The 3rd mm -hmm. and 325. My, I think it was my second combat mission in Iraq, like going and picking someone up and taking them back. It was them. And so their first contact that they had in combat, when they called a medevac, it was me that came in. I was like, I came in and it was my guys. So we, we were supposed to be a one ambulatory gunshot wound and we got there and it was a mass cow situation. So we ended up having to throw our personal bags on the side of the road in Asamoah and load these paratroopers up, fly them 55 miles to get them to trauma. And that was the one that Rosie's son, Alan was on. And man, that kid was, he's the fighter, man. Cause that guy probably would have died in New York before the ambulance got there. If things just didn't happen perfect for him. So we pick these guys up and drop them off. We have to go back to get our equipment up. Like we had to fly back into where we landed to do this extraction because like our helmet bags and everything else with all of our equipments there. Cause we'd have room for the patients. Uh, we get back and uh, good morning America is there talking to the guys that I brought in. And I go back to my, I was a team sergeant for our detachment that was there. So I go back to my guys. The next thing you know, the Colonel, the major and some young guy wearing a flat vest that was like bare and a helmet, uh, like a Kevlar helmet that didn't even have a cover on it. Civilian dude mm -hmm. comes over and talks to us. And next thing you know, got a big article in Time Magazine. That must not have been easy to be a medic. I can already kind of imagine a couple of different scenarios. Um, I know when Ken was in Iraq, I would see a lot of pictures of the helicopters flying in with the medics and they were taking the worst of the worst injuries, you know? So one thing I do like to ask my guests on the show is one trial that you've been through and a triumph, obviously your uh, attempted suicide was a, definitely a triumph. Um, could you tell us maybe one of your, your hardest trials that you had when you were in the situation of being a combat medic? 
I think probably the worst day that we had like it's April 2nd, right? I, I was a team sergeant. So we had, we had four aircraft on our team and 26 individual soldiers. Right. Mm-hmm. And those four aircraft had four man crews, right? I was the senior enlisted for the team and we were the command helicopter, right? So usually it was me and the team leader were on the same helicopter and we would send the other guys out for missions or whatever. But we had a day where we lost one of the helicopters. It wasn't our helicopter, but we were with the third ID. So it was the same little group of, of uh, helicopters. So it was people we had seen. And one of the helicopters had flown for too long. They call it Irfan out. And so they sent another crew to fly that helicopter back, right? And then that crew got on the other helicopter and they all came back. Well, the crew that on the way back, the crew that had the two helicopters, or the two crews crashed. It was uh, me and the team leader went to go do that because we knew it was uh, it was just something that we needed to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, we spent three hours in the back. I, I spent three hours in the back of the helicopter with those guys. And uh, when we finally, we, we flew to like two or three different combat hospitals and cash hospitals. The first few that we flew to, they didn't have any room in the morgue. So finally we found one that was further up North and they set up their mortuary, mortuary affairs first and took, and took those guys. And so that was my second. And then, and then right after that, we had, Another mission where a kid named Jacob Butler died. And when I got there, their battalion surgeon, brigade surgeon, whatever, was trying to put a respirator on him. You, you know, there's certain things, obvious signs of death, you know, like, and one, and I remember looking and I could see every part of him that was touching the ground was purple because what happens is pooling when the blood, heart stops beating, the blood goes to gravity. And I had to tell that the doctor, he didn't need to put a ventilator on him. And I showed him and he says, well, I'm going to do put the ventilator on him anyway. And I finally told him, I said, well, I'm going to take it off of him when I get in the helicopter. And then when we got him to the hospital, I had to tell the doctors because the other doc, the doctor there, he refused to, to, uh, to pronounce it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I had to announce death, right. Which is, it's not something that you want to do, you know? And explain to those doctors why I, there was no resuscitate. And I had to show, like, show my work, I guess, you know, mm-hmm. that was probably the hardest day of my life. And, and I still have dreams about that, but yeah. yeah. Um, I have a lot of veterans listening right now, I'm sure. And a lot of them have a lot of survivor's guilt and just for things like you're talking about right now, um, how do you deal with it? Or can you give any kind of advice? I can tell you I'm lucky because my best friend is a chaplain, you know, Mm -hmm. we talk about guilt a lot, you know, Uh, and Justin is better at talking about this stuff, but I've talked to him enough so I can kind of do an overview. Everybody has some sort of guilt and there's like this totem pole of guilt. If someone goes in the military and they never go to combat, well, they have a certain degree of guilt because they never went to combat, Mm -hmm. you know, then the guys who go to combat and they don't actually see combat, there's another level of guilt, you know, and it just goes up this little guilt totem pole to where I'll bet you the guys that die. In fact, I know, I know that the guys that die in combat are guilty. Uh, Justin's film, No Greater Love, there's a scene in it where, and this is real documentary when their medic died. And uh, the last thing he's saying to them is, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. You know, so guilt, I think, is just a human experience. And just got to recognize it for what it is. It's just destructive, you know? Mm-hmm. It is. And um, do you still use your music as therapy? I do. But now it's getting to the point that people will reach out to me and tell me, hey, your song helped me. 
Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, so that's kind of the therapy that I'm getting now is some of the feedback that I get, especially from, you know, veterans, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that every story that I've heard where a veteran was, is struggling or was struggling, um, with any kind of post-traumatic stress, the way that they've been overcoming it is just by doing good, which I like to wrap up the show by plugging your show, do good. And your music is incredible and it is very helpful. And it's amazing that you're able to share your story so that you can help other people. And that's actually what this podcast is about too, um, is just using your experiences to share them with other people and let them know that they're not alone. I think it's a selfish thing though to do good because it feels good to do good, right? It does. It does. I think that it keeps me going anyways. (laughs) Um, so where can people find you on social media? Uh, you can go to uh, Facebook, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, me personally, Hank Barb. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have uh, my Facebook band page. We have Instagram, Spotify. There's Twitter, three beards, underscore Instagram, three underscore beards, pretty much all over the place. If you just Google three beards, everything will pop up in one little thing because Google put it there for us. Mm-hmm. And those of you who are watching, you'll see all of the social media links on the screen. Those of you listening, you'll be able to read the show notes on whatever platform it is that you're um, listening on. So if you go back to the show, just click it. And then underneath it, it'll have all of Hank's social media links. Yeah. And dogoodarmy.com mm-hmm. and beardsband.com. Yes. Yes. All right. Thank you, Hank, so much for being on the show. I really appreciate you. And I'm so thankful to know you. And I'm so thankful for all the things that you are doing. You're just amazing. Thank you. You're one of my favorite people in the world too. Thank you. I love you long time. (laughs) (laughs) I had to throw that in. We had a conversation before the show, you guys. (laughs) I'm going to have to start doing (laughs) pre-show recordings. (laughs) Um, But um, everybody listening, thank you so much and have an amazing rest of your day and be sure to listen every Friday. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Wake Up with Patty Catter. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. Follow Patty at Patty Catter on Facebook and Instagram. Get social. You can now watch Wake Up with Patty Catter on Amazon TV and Roku. It's the only podcast I listen to. Be sure to check out Patty's apparel line, The Patriotic Mermaid at thepatrioticmermaid.com and on social media at The Patriotic Mermaid. I love it.